Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. Ellie, it's really good to see you again. Yeah, and I'm glad you made it because you had to get through a bushfire, didn't you? Yeah, there was a bushfire between my place and here. Yeah. But that's that's all good because I, I'm very pleased to be on this particular microphone because not long ago you had me in the hot seat sitting next to my beautiful wife, Michelle. Oh, is that what you call the hot seat when you're next to your wife? Yeah, because you asked her a lot of questions about me <laughs> and what kind of a husband I was and all that kind of stuff, which could have led to any number of disasters. It ended up pretty well. The last few conversations we've had have been pretty far-reaching. And uh, when I was sitting there with Michelle, I was sitting next to a beautiful young woman. And lo and behold, you're now sitting next to a beautiful young woman in the hot seat. And even younger And even too, younger woman. Say. And when I first met the young woman sitting next to you, your daughter, Rebecca, yep. she was about three and a half inches tall. <laughs> and... <laughs> She was wearing a little doll's dress in church, and I, I think she was playing a violin, and uh, you were playing with her in the front of the church. That'd be right. Mm. And that was 13 years ago. Wow. 13 years. And look at you now, Rebecca. Haven't grown much. You have, you've grown a lot. <laughs> it's really good to have inches. you. <laughs> it's, it, look, it's so good to, to have you both here together because our, our chats, Ellie, have been all about um, what it means to be a dad, what it be, means to be a man, and uh, what it means to, I guess, walk a fine line towards some kind of success in your life so you can tick all the boxes before you die. For me, it's, uh, it's good to have this conversation with you and your daughter because uh, I know a lot of your backstory, the, the two of you, because we've been a part of your family too, which has been a joy for us. Now we're going to discuss what it's been like for you both in the process of raising a young woman from the little child I first met some 13 years ago. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it took more courage for you to sit next to your wife in that previous uh, chat we had or whether it takes more guts for me to sit here <laughs> with my daughter. Oh, I think I think your courage level would have to be a lot higher than mine because <laughs> uh, having I know some of the backstory and I'm glad I'm not sitting next to my daughter, I can oh, tell no, you. Oh, no, what have uh, I gotten myself into? Maybe yeah. one day, eh? Yeah, oh, one, no. uh, that's a possibility. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy, no, I'm too, look, I'm too nervous to even contemplate such a move. <laughs> yeah. So we met 13 years ago yep. and it was a fairly uh, tumultuous time in my life and I suspect it was a tumultuous time in your lives as well. Mm. What was life looking like for you back then? Rebecca, do you remember 13 years ago, Would I don't like to highlight a lady's age, but you would have been two? <laughs> yes you're too kind um, oh, oh, I don't, um, how, how what's 22 minus 13 <laughs> oh, it was fine I think I was about 12 yeah. look honestly I'm not good at remembering specifics yeah or facts yeah but I know that it was after we'd moved when I was seven we moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast Maybe you were about nine and yes. to get the maths right to be with family mm-hmm. and around that time we were just kind of living regular lives. Mm-hmm. 
going to school, visiting grandparents every Saturday or Sunday, going to church. Yeah. So life felt normal? Oh, it felt very normal. Do Do you recall being in a happy situation during those times? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was quite, I was getting my confidence. Yeah. Getting my own mind. My mum says that as soon as I turned seven, it's when I formed my own opinion and I shared it with everyone. So I I think that was, that was the time that that happened. Yeah. Your opinions were always valid though. That hasn't changed changed, by the way, the sharing opinions, uh, sharing opinions with everyone. Yeah, now I, I remember back in those days, Ellie, you were a very, very doting dad to Rebecca. Well, that hasn't changed. I know, but uh, you were very, um, she was your princess and there was no two ways about it. Everybody knew in the way that you you communicated with her and uh, the aspirations you had for her life. How has she measured up? Well, I've got to say uh, that uh, my wife, Anna, and I still call her princess. Yeah. So she's still our princess. Uh, Regardless a, of who's A there. daughter is always, you know, their parents, uh, their father's princess. Yeah. I didn't know what life would hold for for Rebecca, but I, or you know, I had high hopes and aspirations. So I wanted, like every father would, I guess, for her to have a life filled with happiness or joy. Mm-hmm. But I do remember, and you, you probably remember this. I hope you do, because it was an important moment for me when it was around that age, when you were around twelve, that I went into your bedroom, and maybe it was as you, you know, you you were going to sleep, and I told you. Rebecca, you know, I don't know what your life holds. I actually told her, I know this sounds weird, but it was something that I'd, I'd just been convicted of, you know, something I understood out of my own prayer life. Because as I was praying for Rebecca, I told her that life was going to be hard for her and that she would face great pain and sorrow, but that she would get through it and that she would have joy and, and happiness, you know, through it and that God would bless her. Mm. Was she awake when you said that? Yeah. Do you remember that, Rebecca? I do. Wow. And that was hard for me to tell her. Every life has pain in it, you know, but I specifically understood that Rebecca was going to face sorrow and pain in her life, you know, and great sorrow and pain, but that she'd be okay. How did that sit with you, Rebecca? You were 12 when you heard that. Um, I think that in a way... I'd only just started to understand what experiencing maybe hardship actually meant. Yeah. So it kind of just made me think a bit more about what that might mean. But did it frighten it was, you? In any it way? was special to me that Dad was talking to me and mm. encouraging me about mm. whatever might come because I had no clue. Yeah, yeah. So have you had any hardships that you can talk about? Well, every something that I've learned is that. Everyone experiences pain mm. and everyone's pain is real to them, even if it's not real to someone else. So <laughs> I've had pain and maybe to someone else it's not yeah. as big as their life pain. But I think, yeah, I have, yeah. as has everyone else. What part has faith played in your, in your journey? You've grown up in a strong Christian family. What part has, uh, has faith played? Well, it's played a different role at different ages. When I was very young, it was... That someone, well, Dad used to sing to me every night, um, that song, Jesus Loves Me. <laughs> so I guess from a very basic Jesus understanding. Jesus loves me, this I know. Has he stopped doing that now or does he ring you he up has. every night? Oh, he's, he has. That's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 It only took a few years. Yeah. Um, there was someone that cared for me regardless of mm. what happened. Mm. I guess in kind of like the culture or the understanding of our family then, it was quite 
conservative and it I gave was, me a really I, strong sense of right and wrong. I was really straight laced. <laughs> right? and, and Don't get me started. No, and, you know, and with harsh attitudes on things. But I just, if I can go back, Rebecca, because Graham asked you if you'd experienced any pain and, and suffering. You said you had. You didn't give any specific examples. But let me overlay that with this. The truth is, Rebecca, that you have grown up in a very dysfunctional family at every level, although you know many people don't know it or recognise it from, from the outside, from the very fact that because I married mum, well, from the very fact, first of all, that you come from an immigrant family and I wasn't born here in Australia. I came here when I was four years old. So immediately you didn't have extended family. There was only my parents, the only grandparents you had here, and uh, my brother, the only uncle, and his subsequent family. And then when I married mum, we were completely disowned. Uh, You weren't born there, but mum and I were completely disowned. You know, you've never been able to have normal grandparents and uncles and aunties and nephews and, and really learn what family is. And you've had to live through the pain, you know, that I guess I've lived through and that mum has lived through of being rejected by our family. And, and that's only been part of it. So, yeah, there has been pain and, and suffering. Were you aware of all that, Rebecca? Yeah, I don't think they tried to hide anything from me. Yeah. And... I have many memories of going to, for example, my grandparents' house and being turned away or... Yeah, um, it's terrible. Yeah. Or of, you know, seeing my parents upset about... My mum left her family in Chile and so obviously she missed them horribly and my dad didn't really have his family even though they were close. So it wasn't hidden from me, which I'm grateful for because seeing my parents love people who didn't necessarily understand how to love them back or maybe want to love them at that point in time you know taught me a lot about what it means to experience hardship with an understanding of who you are and who god is i guess yeah that's really profound and so you asked me before if i was proud of her graham Mm i am proud of her without limits Mm, that's a great place to be as I am with my children, you know, my own two daughters are, the, are yeah. the same. They've grown up with a lot of dysfunction in their life as well. Can, can I just say, because the question was, you know, whether she was aware of it that you asked mm-hmm. Rebecca. Well, I actually, I've, I've always tried to be very open with my children, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not hide stuff. And uh, I think they were even younger. Rebecca might have been nine or ten when I got her and, and Benjamin, who's one year younger together and I tried to explain the situation in our family because I knew that what they were living through wasn't normal and it was going to affect the trajectory of their lives because as you and I know Graham these things are generational you know we learn from what our parents from we learn to be fathers from our fathers we learn to be mothers from our mothers we learn to be husbands and wives from the relationships that we've seen Hmm. right and so I got Rebecca and Ben together and and you'll remember this Rebecca and if it's not true say so and I said I tried to explain the best way that I could I said it's like a family curse that we have did I say that you said you said exactly that you know where where she's got a good memory yeah where brothers turn against sisters Mm. and uh, fathers and mothers 
disown and disinherit their children and children hate their parents. And I said, it's happening every generation, you know, in my family, on my father's side, as far back as there is living memory. And I promised Rebecca and I, and, and I said to Rebecca, I never want you to suffer what I've suffered. And when you get old enough and when you fall in love, I don't care who it is, whether it's a drug addict, a convict, you know, a prostitute, you know, we will love that person, you know, and they'll always be welcome in our, in our home, you know, just because you love them. Mm-hmm. And didn't I say that? You'll always be our daughter, no matter what choices you make in life. And the, the pain that you guys went through collectively as a family mm-hmm. was generational pain from way back in the lives of the people who inflicted it upon you. Yeah. The cycle of, of the pain through families has to be broken somewhere. And I guess the ball's now in your court for the two of you and, you know, your mum, Anna and, and Benjamin, to break the cycle of pain in your family so that whoever comes from you guys is going to have a better, a better go at it than maybe you did. I'm determined to break it. When yeah. I had that chat to my little children, I said, I told them that. I said, I'm determined that it ends the family curse, even though it's not a curse, right, but it's a learned thing, but the family curse ends here and ends now. Mm. Little did I know it was going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> it got worse. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? There are many ways that it got worse, many different little avenues that life throws at you. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the most impactful event of on my life that I can remember is po- probably the suicide of your dad. That was probably the worst thing for me. Mm-hmm. How old were you then, Rebecca? Maybe 18 or... No, 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And that the ripples of that pond can go on and on and on. They do, and often unrecognised. Yeah. You know, and you need to get help to deal with these things. Yeah. Have you been able to identify any, any driving force behind what your grandfather did? Like a reason. Mm. I think... It's unforgiveness, but for me, the biggest thing that I saw in it was that he just didn't understand that he was loved and actually cared for, regardless of what he'd done to me or his family or, you know, he never even spoke to any of us about it. So for me, at that age, trying to understand it, it wasn't really about unforgiveness, it was just... I didn't really understand how he could feel so unloved when I had felt so loved and loved them a lot. So, In spite of his behaviour towards you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, um, if he were to be able to walk into the room now, what would you say to him? Um, maybe. I, I don't know. It would be very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I don't hold any bitterness or anything against him, I'd probably just give him a hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you at all angry that he did what he did? No. No. You just feel pity? Not pity. No. I just, it's, I feel like it's such one of the biggest sadnesses in this world when someone doesn't understand just how loved they are. If not by, if they don't understand that it's by God, then just by me. And the fact that, you know, he's my granddad. Mm. I think that if there's one way that I could show him that it's loved, it would be like that. But I don't feel bitter or upset at him. I 
just feel really sad that he felt that way. An element of my thinking prior to the time I was going to take my own life was to actually inflict pain on somebody. Mm. I wanted to hurt somebody with my suicide. Yeah. Um, What a waste. Mm. What would you say to your dad, Ellie, if he walked into this room now? Why, why couldn't you let yourself be loved? That's what I'd say to him. Why couldn't you let yourself be loved? Yeah. So, yes. so the greatest pain that drives any action of that kind is a feeling of not being loved and being rejected and hmm. loathing other people and loathing yourself even more. Well, talking about loathing yourself even more, I mean, that was one thing where the family curse was perpetuated but then probably around six years ago my children discovered my porn addiction Mm. so me the one who had told them a few years earlier you know the curse ends here and now i made it worse do you really believe that yeah i do is it possible your porn addiction may have been as a result of the curse oh well definitely i mean it's that cycle of unlove, you know, I fell into and uh, never having had that need to be loved by my father satisfied, mm-hmm. it made me unwilling to understand and appreciate the love that my family had for me, mm-hmm. my wife and my children, yeah. and seek it elsewhere. You know, that's it. so, but did it make it worse? Well, yeah, definitely. I remember it uh, years ago, my adult daughter who now has three beautiful children has given me three beautiful grandchildren when she was 12 catching me watching porn and uh, I saw her reflection in the screen behind me after I turned the computer off and I realized that she'd been there watching me and um, I can't begin to describe how low that made me feel Uh, my hero status which was very strong with her back Mm. then just disintegrated before my eyes Mm. and I thought that that would that the pain of that would stop me, and it did only for two days because the addiction had such a strong hold. But Rebecca, did you see your dad as some kind of a hero when you were growing up? I guess there was a shift in Dad's life when I guess he started understanding the grace of God, maybe, or a bit more about how much he truly was loved, maybe the gospel, yeah. as he calls it. So I think that the little seeds have been planted in my mind and in my coping and processing things about grace and how everyone was flawed. So for me, the issue is never the problem to me, I guess. is just everyone has things and you just forgive them and love them. And You know, it's our hope that there'll be, there'll be fathers and daughters listening to this who probably experience the same thing. We know this is true because... Um, well over 85% of men consume pornography and about 20% of that group will actually become addicted to it. So it's logical that a lot of really good men are caught in this cycle. And so it's valid for um, sons and daughters and mums and dads to actually talk about this stuff. I think half the problem is we don't talk about it. Mm. Um, can I look, Can I just say on this issue of forgiveness, I said in a previous podcast when we were having a chat, Graeme, that 
there's I've never seen forgiveness towards me in anyone. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it modelled. Mm. And so I go through life because, you know, I run a, a Christian gospel ministry. I talk about forgiveness. I teach people about forgiveness. I help people forgive. But I'd, I said that I'd never seen it modelled and shown towards me. Uh, Rebecca heard that. And a couple of weeks ago, that podcast, she rang me up because she doesn't live at home anymore. And she said, Dad, that's not true. <laughs> and, and Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> it definitely isn't true. Um, yeah. Because I have to say that the person who has modelled forgiveness most clearly towards me in my life, you know, it's not my father. It's not even my friends because I don't have as much vested interest, you know, the friends that, that know my story. Mm. It's you, Rebecca, you know. You, you've been the greatest demonstration of, of the grace of God and you've treated me in the way that God treats me when I felt that no one else could. There comes a time when dads have to learn from their daughters. Mm. Thank you. So hero status, mm. how does that sit with you? Are you a hero? I miss that because, you know, until about when Rebecca was 12. He used to come into my room and say, there'll come a day, Rebecca. Not long <laughs> from now, he'd say, when you won't love me like you do now. Oh, and yeah, I'd I'm say, never, this is never going to happen. And yeah, that's right. Say, You're never going to love me the same after that. It changes. <laughs> the relationship changes. Did it change, Rebecca? It did you yes, love for him? It did. It changes but in did every relationship. Change? Things can't get better if they don't change. That's true. It changes. <laughs> Fathers and daughters, their relationship always change. Yeah. You know, there comes, yeah. you know, when the, the daughters reach the, uh, you know, the early teenage years or, you know, mid-teen years. I know it might be a little bit different in every case. Mm. But suddenly they gravitate towards their mums. Yeah. You know? And that's where they go first for their hugs and their cuddles and, and, and for their special chats. And, okay, I understand. Yeah. You know, but uh, our relationship changed, Rebecca, and, and that actually hit me really hard because being someone who's profoundly codependent, you know, mm-hmm. and always and, and touchy-feely as I am, you know, my love language, Yeah, I could always count on you coming, running to me, you know, for a hug or, or to tell me how much you loved me. I'm also very verbal. Uh, and when that changed, yeah, I missed that. I've got to say, I guess I adjusted, but I, but I missed it. But, but our relationship has become even more beautiful in a, in a deeper way in recent years. Perhaps so, mellow. Yeah, things have to change so they grow. You're a very wise daughter, you know, <laughs> the things that come out of your mouth. So I want, to, I want to explore this hero status with you a little bit more. Yeah. Do you see yourself in any way as a hero? No. Uh, look, okay, that's the codependent Ellie talking. But, yeah, I am a hero in many ways. Okay, I've got to tell the truth, haven't I? You do. Okay, yes, I am a hero. And I guarantee that you are because as someone who administers a huge gospel ministry that's reaching people all over the world, to admit in a podcast like this with your daughter that you had an issue with pornography is an incredibly courageous thing to do, and I admire you for that. I also admire you because I think you've realised that your strength lies in your vulnerability. Yeah. Because when we realise how weak we are in our own power, there is a power greater than us that takes the journey for us. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that power in my life. 
And so when people see me as some kind of um, good guy or a hero or whatever, mm. I know in my heart it's not me. Yeah. And knowing that in my heart makes me feel like that's good because I don't want that pressure. I want, I'm happy for God to carry that pressure for me because he's geared to do it, I'm not. And it's not about me, it's about him. So if there's anything people like in me or you or Rebecca, let's be honest here, it's not us. Yeah, that's kind of why, part of the reason why I said no um, yeah. the first time. Yeah. But you know, how courageous is Rebecca to sit here with me and talk about this stuff? I know, I know. Um, and, and, and yeah. It, it, I have to ask the next question because I think you're a rescuer too, Rebecca. I think you're the kind of person who likes to be at the forefront of other people's issues to help and support them. You've got a heart for service. Am I right? Yes. yes. You do. Sorry, I'm nodding. but I know. But, you know, at some <laughs> level, and, and I've got a heart like that too. I guess we all have. Otherwise, why would we be sitting here talking about these issues on a podcast? But at some level, we carry some of the burden of the people that we try to support. Mm. Have you done that? I think that uh, maybe the most impactful events of my life happened when I was trying to understand the things that were happening. Like mm -hmm. I was kind of younger and in my changing years, you might say. Mm -hmm. So I think unconsciously, yes, but I also think that it probably helped to shape my understanding of what happened in a positive way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think I understood just how much I was grieving maybe for other people that could have done it for themselves. Yeah. So where, where, did, where did you go? People obviously used you as a backstop. Where did you go with the baggage that you were carrying as a result of that? Well, there's one thing that I'm very embarrassed about. Huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> Nobody's going to be hearing this. There, so was, yeah. there was one day in school, I was in grade 12, and it had been months since my granddad had passed away and I was in a class that was discussing issues like institutional evil and you know things like that and like child sexual abuse yeah oh, okay oh yeah. no 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 as Just in like the evil of institutions no as in like organizational like political like yeah but it was lots yeah. of things it okay. wasn't just that it's just an example All right. yeah. yeah but um one day after class i just i stood back a little bit i didn't really know why i didn't have anything to say um but i went up to the teacher and i just started bawling my eyes out and mm. i just said to them i said i just don't understand why i can't stop being sad i just i don't understand it mm -hmm. and they said to me it was Christian environment he, and they said to me God gave us all these emotions and sometimes things aren't more than just sad they just are and you just need to experience it and when you're ready things will change and you'll see things in a new way but they said to me that it's fine just to be sad but God never wastes a hurt the thing here is uh, but I thought I should be better that's the, why I was upset because I wasn't feeling better no just the context here as well is that around that time, in addition to all the stuff we've been talking about, mm. 
This is um, really messed up, isn't it? Yeah. Oh <laughs> Fantastic. It's life beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't think about this stuff all at once very no, often. It, it's, uh, you know, I had just been done over by a religious institution. Our whole family had had really. I remember so, that. So we just, yeah, you, were, you suffered along with that. I think we were done over too, but that's all right. So so there was that. But you, What you doesn't asked, kill you only makes you stronger. That's it, at the end of the day, yeah. Mm. But you asked before, Graham, uh, how Rebecca coped and... I've got to say, you know, we've all learnt to reach out and get professional help, you know, from, yeah. from uh, you know, qualified good counsellors and, mm-hmm. you know, and to reach out to our mates. Like, that's why I started this podcast with you, because we have such great conversations. We do, yeah. They're so healing for me. I thought, well, let's share it with other other guys and other people, you know, yeah. uh, who, who can benefit. But, you know, I've seen Rebecca change, and we're talking about the change in the relationship between fathers and daughters, and I've seen her become an adult, and I've, I've seen her trying to cope with, you know, the, the issues, I guess, that have helped formed her, that have mm-hmm. been part of our family environment. And she is someone who bears other people's burdens, who mm-hmm. tries to rescue people, and mm-hmm. I can abuse people like that. Not intentionally, but because I lean on them too heavily. And I know Rebecca knows what I'm talking about. So I've I've been able to appreciate Rebecca providing support for me and, and me being able to talk to Rebecca at times, as my daughter. But I've also learned to read the signals more of when she needs to set her boundaries. And that's part of what becoming an adult has been for Rebecca. I've seen mm-hmm. that. And so she, she's had to have her boundaries of what she can deal with, what I she can't. I said to you in the past, Dad, I don't want details. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And You speak so, on details sometimes, isn't I am, it? Very yeah. much so. So I've had to learn to, to respect those. And get over yourself yeah, a bit. It's, yeah, get, get over. So it's part <laughs> of loving my daughter and, and accepting love from her. You know, every relationship is, is negotiated to, you know, mm-hmm. to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's got to it's gotta be kind to both parties. Yeah. But I will say, like, in regards to how I've coped with things and how I've dealt with what's happened around me, I think that my dad and I are obviously very similar people. And so having seen him experience them and how he dealt with things with grace and with forgiveness, and sometimes, you know, he doesn't always deal with things in the way that I would think would be the best way, but I think that seeing other people around me being an example of how to deal with things has certainly taught me a lot. It's also, you know, oh, I think we're both quite anxious. So it, it also it's sometimes we share our anxieties and it's just an anxiety fest. But I think that there's more strong positives <laughs> Can you than buy negatives. tickets to one of those events or not? Oh, look, you can, but, but you wouldn't, really you wouldn't make the phone call to the tickets so because <laughs> you would be too scared. You know, Rebecca said something beautiful to me uh, about a month ago because we are actually genetically very similar. We've got different chromosomes, obviously, because she's a woman, I'm not. But we share our genetics, our way of looking at the world mm-hmm. and reacting to things and... Even physically, we share a lot of sort of biological similarities in terms of... Don't uh, wish that on her, really. ...health stuff. Yeah, and I was apologising to Rebecca, you know, because we just discovered that we just shared another thing <laughs> that's a genetic that was pretty big at the time. Pretty rubbish. Pretty rubbish. And I, and I and she seems to get all the rubbish genetically from me, not from her mum. Every time. And I apologise. I said, I'm so sorry, Rebecca, that you get all my all the bad genes. You know, I'm really so sorry. And Why she did said, you apologise? Because I do that a lot. And she said to me, don't worry, Dad, 
because all the good stuff I've got from you is so amazing that it overshadows all the bad stuff. <laughs> I thought that was really good. I really oh, appreciated that. What a great thing. Yeah. Apologising. Yeah. I, I teach guys that I work with in the airline industry never to apologise to the passengers for things that weren't in our control. You can express regret, but don't apologise. Because the minute you apologise for something that's outside of your control, you're taking responsibility for it. Yep, that's a good thing you teach them. And and do you um, and, and I think you apologise for a lot of things that you aren't really responsible for. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Rebecca? Is he always saying I'm sorry for things that he's not responsible for? Yeah, but even more than that, I think he feels guilty about things that have nothing to do with him, like <laughs> that he oh, really, really isn't responsible for in the first place. <laughs> really? And because he's a nice person, then he tries to seek forgiveness, but really it's got nothing to do with him. Is he addicted to... <laughs> Forgiveness? I think he's always looking for forgiveness, <laughs> even if it's nothing to do with him. <laughs> oh, no. And I can see another session with the shrink coming up. <laughs> what a great thing. So, But I think that probably does you more harm than good because you really believe that you're at fault for some things that really is nothing. Yeah, you know, Ellie, that's, yeah. that is the root cause of why I've said to you over the years, you need to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm doing just that. You are. You are. But... Um, one of the reasons was forever apologising for things that you had nothing really to do with, other than you were part of the process as well, but you weren't the cause of it. Yeah. And sometimes I used to think you were fishing for forgiveness. Fishing for forgiveness. Well, I, I guess I was. Yeah. 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 What's the bag limit on forgiveness? I know the bag limit on Australian bass is two per person after the 1st of September because I've just caught a heap of those. What's the bag limit on forgiveness? Well, for fishing, uh, I think it's pretty low because the way forgiveness works, it's forgiveness comes from the fact that you love someone and if you love someone, you don't always have to be forgiving them. That's right. Mm -mm. That's very true. Have I just had a revelation? I think you might have. Rebecca, What? (laughs) um, we could talk like this for ages and it's so refreshing to see a father and daughter have a conversation like this. We've touched on some pretty major issues, some serious stuff. Can you project yourself forward many years, I hope, Rebecca, at your dad's funeral? What would you say about your dad at his funeral if you were giving a eulogy? And I'm sure you will because that's who you are. Good, I get to hear it. You get to hear Most it. Most dead people we'll probably don't. probably go at the same time because we have the same issues. Unlikely. <laughs> 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 well... I don't have many good experiences at funerals. Two-thirds of them have been at suicide funerals, so mm-hmm. you're not allowed to make another. I can relate to that. No, um, say that again. He's not allowed to make me another. Another suicide funeral. That won't be happening. It won't be happening. Um, I'm planning to have a good funeral. If that happens, I'll drag him out of the coffin and give him a good swift kick. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess maybe weirdly... I heard in this other podcast um, someone talking about as someone who understands that they're loved by God, how you see other people. And she was talking about just how special the people around you are and how much they're so loved and have such a future and, you know, regardless of what happens here. And I guess I'd say the same thing is, most people, I mean, as I'd like to think most people I know, just really, really affirming how much you are loved 
and how much of a future you have regardless of what's happened on earth because I believe that that isn't the end of things fortunately Mm. Um, and I guess I just try and express to the people how regardless of what this life tried to throw at him and at us um, how much of an overcomer he was and how courageous he was and how special that's a lovely uh, a lovely thing to say. Never thought about that before. I know, most people don't. <laughs> I ask this question of men, what do you want your kids to say about you at your funeral? How does what Rebecca just said sit with you? I mean, it's amazing. I'd never thought of myself as an overcomer, someone who, you know, overcame in life and whatever challenges I faced, I was able to get through in the right way and leave a good example. Mm. But even just the first thing that Rebecca said that she'd say how much I was loved. I mean, we could put a full stop right there. Yeah. Because that's, that's everything, isn't it? Well, maybe that's where we should put a full stop here now. Okay. I think um, I just want to thank you both for the privilege of being an intimate part of your life journey and also this discussion. It's honoured me beyond belief. I love you both. Thanks, Graham. We need to do this again soon. Well, we wouldn't have shared it with you if we didn't love you too, so thanks, mate. <laughs> I meant to that. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.